This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Pod Fix Network. <laughs> Welcome to episode 247 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today on the show, we have the fantastic JP Watts, otherwise known as John Watts, on to talk about his debut movie, and it is the rather brilliant First World War film, The War Below, which is out now. It's out on TiVo on the 11th of November, but everywhere else, it is available. Go seek this movie out. It is incredible. On this week's ep with JP uh, slash John, we talked about this film, how it came about, how he co-wrote The War Below, and why connections in filmmaking are vitally important. He also talks about how he got the money for The War Below and why he did the VFX himself. He also goes in depth about why casting directors are important, why you should have an assembly editor on set, and how it felt to direct your own feature film. But before we get there, the co-host today, it is his debut as a co-host. You have heard his voice before. He has been quietly editing the podcast in the background, sometimes not so quietly. <laughs> For you wonderful people, it is the fantastic Tobias V on the Filmmakers Podcast. Here, to Toby will insert a huge cheer. Uh, I imagine so, that's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Toby. Hello, hello, Welcome. Hello. This is amazing. Yeah. The first time you've hosted uh, the podcast. Hearing my own voice. Probably I'm not going to be in the episode just editing myself out. But... <laughs> <laughs> like, do you know what? I'm an idiot. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> so uh, tell people who you are. Tell people what you do. I'm the editor of the Filmmakers Podcast. Hey! But, um, <laughs> yeah, but actually, but actually. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an up-and-coming writer, director and screenwriter. Yeah. Yes, you are. I've written scripts with Charles yep. before and working on some lovely scripts, getting them out there, trying to pitch them. You're in that place where you've made lots of shorts, you've made promos, yeah. and you're about to make your first feature. And I really think you are going. it's going to happen soon. I'm going to help you. It's going to happen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, Toby's amazing. Amazing person, amazing writer. And it's finally we've got you on to host. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the nice words. <laughs> so what did you take away from... Enough about you. So what did we take away? <laughs> Let's get some... T- some more interesting people. Yeah, more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what did you take away uh, from this week's episode with John JP Watts? Oh, the conversation was so great. I really enjoyed talking to JP, brilliant writer director. We watched this film yesterday and I loved it. It's a stunning film mm-hmm. and you guys should check it out and uh, share it and support him in any way you can. Yeah, The War Below, it's set during World War One about a group of British miners uh, who were recruited to tunnel underneath no man's land to set bombs off to save the war, uh, to save Britain, basically. Hopefully. It's brilliant. It's so well made. It stars Sam Hazeldean, Tom Goodman-Hill, Chris Hitchin, Elliot James Langridge, who has starred in so many films of the directors and producers who've been on this podcast. Uh, Sam Clement and Joseph Stein, to name a few. Oh, Andrew Scarborough, who, bizarrely, I did amateur dramatics with when I was about 14. Yeah, I only figured this out the other day. Andrew, you won't be listening, but if you are, hey, buddy. Let's let's reconnect. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, amazing cast, really cool, uh, brilliant film, DOP'd marvelously mm. by Nick Cook, who has just shot Jessica Hennick's 
new short film, Bus Girl, which will be out soon. So yeah, it's an amazing episode, so full of information. Honestly, you're going to love this one. Get your pens and pencils ready. Mm, so many tips and tricks. Oh, Charles. Yes? I see you're not in your usual room recording this episode. No. Where are you? Ah, I am in Rebellion Studios, actually. Oh. My good producer pal, Emma Biggins. She now uh, is part of Rebellion Films and TV and animation and gaming place which is exactly what rebellion is they mainly known for making games but they mm. also now make films and tv and i've been up here chatting to emma and ben about their slate and their latest films and they showed me around their studios that they have here it's near oxford and it is incredible and it's just full of so much space if you've got an indie film at the moment i'd really highly recommend getting in touch with rebellion about the spaces they've got here they're very welcoming to indie films at the moment and they're very kind Kindly let me record the podcast in here because I was speaking to them so much. I went, oh, guys, I'm never going to get home in time to record the podcast with JP. Do you mind? And they went, yeah, no problem. How cool is that? So I've got the run of the place right now. I might just go make a film while I'm here. But it's great. Look them look up. Rebellion Publishing is what it will be. Publishing.com. But amazing space there. Yeah. So, yes, a shout out to those guys. Thank you, Emma Biggins. Nice. Oh, oh, and on Friday, we've got a special, haven't we, Toby? Yeah, we've got a special. What's the, what's the special about, Charles? <laughs> Thank you for asking. This Friday, we have a special for you. We are coming up to our 250th episode, and we're trying to get uh, a very special guest for you. We might not. It might not happen. But on Friday, we have a really special guest for you. It is the Hollywood star, Alice Eve uh, and our wonderful host Dom Lemoire sat down and had a chat with her. So that is coming up for you on Friday. And also on Tuesday, Toby, we have on The Makers of Repeat, which is the new sci-fi movie which is out on Monday, this coming Monday, the 11th. And they'll be on on Tuesday. It is Richard and myself uh, who produced it with Lucinda Rhodes-Takra. And also looks like we're going to have Tom England, the star of that. And with any luck... Charlotte Ritchie as well. Fingers crossed. So that is coming up for you next Tuesday. So look out for that. But repeat is out. I'll repeat it again. <laughs> repeat is out on Monday the 11th. Uh, and then also the 15th in the US as well. It's ace. It's such a brilliant sci-fi. Made for next to nothing. Made for peanuts. We're going to tell you all about how we did that next week. So... Friday's Ali's Eve, but right now, Toby, shall we get to the episode with JP John Watts, right? Let's get to it. Woohoo! Sit back, relax. And enjoy. So, uh, that's mine. <laughs> that's my words. Enjoy and enjoy Toby's debut. Thank him on Twitter. How are you doing? You right? Yeah, all is good, mate. All is very good. Are you good. gearing up for release? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been released in the UK, um, but not in America yet. So that's good. So, you know, it's the same as everything, isn't it? You know, some people like, some people don't like. It's just, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? So, uh, but in, in general, yeah, I'm, you know, we're, we're pleased with how it's going. So, uh, yeah, it's all good. Good. No, I'm pl- you know what it's like, though, isn't it? You build do this whole build up for a release and you're like, yeah, it's coming out. And then it sort of comes out and you go... Okay. Yeah. What's next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird experience. You kind of it think is. there's going to be some sort of bells and whistles and something happens, but nothing really happens. It comes exactly. out. I'm in Rebellion Studios. I'm in their studios in Oxford right now. It's amazing here. Hence why these, there's these cool posters behind me. Look at that. Right, yours, yours looks really cool behind you. I've got film books. Film books are amazing. There's so many good film books out there. Normally I'd be in my office and I could whiz through all the film books and we could go, read that one, seen that one, seen that one. Um, just <laughs> looked at the pictures uh, of these ones. There's so many amazing film books. Was there any that inspired you? Was there any that you'd really took something from for our listeners that go, oh yeah, I'll read that one? I mean, to be honest with you, most of the books I have, they're either scripts of films or they're writing books. Um, but I love reading film scripts. I know, you know, obviously I love watching films, but I think mm. the scripts are amazing, especially I've got the Batman trilogy and my favourite ones to read and I read them over and over and over again. Cool. Because if you're, if you're, you know, being a director or a writer or any member of crew, to read the script is something amazing, especially if you haven't seen the mm. film already because you can imagine what you would do with it. Um, and obviously for a writer, it's extremely important to see how other people are doing it that are probably a bit better than you or, you know, better in their careers than, than sure. you are at the minute. Yeah. Um, and just seeing how people do it and, you know, I think, just looking at things like that are amazing or even looking at reference books you know if for this one we we bought 
nearly every World War One picture reference book we could find mm-hmm. and went through it, especially with our DOP, said, could we do something like this? Or we like this image, how could we then maybe bring this in and stuff like that? So anything to do with references or other films that you like the framing and that kind of thing, it's all so important. So yeah, get every book you can possibly get is what I say. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's so true. I really like what you said there about reading scripts. I mean, I yeah. get scripts sent all the time. We get people, friends, whatever, someone online sending scripts. A lot of the time we'll read them. You go, okay, so it's really good to read them, but actually it's a really good point you made. I haven't read an Oscar winning script for a while. And some of these might be Oscar winning scripts. <laughs> just, saying, know yet. just saying, but I actually haven't done what you've done. And I think that's a really clever idea. What do you get from it? What do you learn from those scripts that you could maybe bring to your own? As a writer, obviously, it's uh, every time you're going to make a film, the first step is to get someone to read your film and mm-hmm. finance it. So they have to see it in their heads. They have to read it and visualize it in their heads. So if you can see how the best people are doing it, then that's obviously going to help you, isn't it? And to say, yeah, I can see how they go from scene to scene without just a horrible cut. They've linked this scene through through either audio or a visual cue or something. And just little things like that, that you can say, right, I've got it. I can then bring that into my own work. And I'm not saying copy it, but, you know, take those inspirations from how they've done things and say, right, I need to put that into my my work. Pick your favourite films, pick your favourite writers, uh, favourite directors, and just read it and see, is it the same as it was in the film? I mean, I read Interstellar before I ever watched the film. Mm. Um, and it was completely different to how I visualise it, to how he did it. But, you know, equally were great. And it's really interesting to see how it's progressed from an early draft to a later draft to a production draft and see what changes they've made and maybe why they've made it. And then you can look at your own work um, and say, should I change things to make it, you know, uh, uh, better? And how they've changed, maybe they've looked at character, maybe they've changed an arc or something like that. Can I look to do that myself? And would that make it better? Mm-hmm. So it's all these kind of things that you wouldn't naturally do that from reading the scripts, you get used to it and you get used to the flow of the scripts and used to how, you know, reading some great dialogue, you go, yeah, that's brilliant dialogue. And then you read your own dialogue and go, I have to change my dialogue. <laughs> so do you see what I mean? So it's things like that, that you wouldn't know otherwise just mm-hmm. by watching the film. Mm-hmm. Toby, do you, do you read famous scripts? Yeah, especially before writing a script, I usually try to find similar movies and similar scripts and see how they did it in terms of structure, but also in terms of how how it's literally written, how which words did they use, how is it translating to the visuals. It's really important for horror, for example, to convey to the reader that they can get that it's a horror film and now it's a suspense scene and stuff like that. So really see how it's really written on the page. Things like Alien did that with with with, with the white page, with the, the space between Yeah, exactly, stuff. yeah. So, you know, they would have like a couple of words, then they'd have, you know, a new paragraph, a couple more words, new paragraph, especially when Ripley was going up into the into the ceiling or what have you. So you're creating these kind of jumps and these scare bits and this by using the actual formatting of the page as well as what you're writing. So it's things like that that you wouldn't know by watching the film. Obviously, you, you get the tension, but how do you get that onto a page? Well, you can do it with words, you can do it with spacing, you can do it with you know, the white space around the words. Nobody likes to read big paragraphs. Everybody hates reading big paragraphs. So mm-hmm. split it up into, you know, um, different shots almost by every every shot you're doing, especially in a horror or something or an action, you can break it down. And that that is so much better to read. It's so much quicker to read as well. And then, you know, the producers will go through it and say, yep, yeah, this is a good read. This is a quick read. And they're not having to slog for an hour and a half, you know, three hours through a, a, a short script. It, it, it's not fun to read one of these huge chunks totally the scripts you get sent and and a lot of the time the the action sections of it and not the action where it's fighting but they're called the action line isn't it which Mm. is a describing section and johnny grant very much who who co-wrote the dare with me and he's gone on to write some amazing scripts he very much says it should never be more than three lines i struggle with that and you know i end up trying to cut bits or take a full (laughs) stop out you know what i mean you were like toby on bits and pieces we've written together and i'm literally like if we take the dot out it now becomes three lines instead of four (laughs) yeah yeah but i mean i I would say probably three to four lines 
I mean, it's, Fine. it's a good rule. It's a good rule. It's a good rule. At least try it. Yeah. Try exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. writing random stuff and hey, she feels exactly. this way. She turns that way and she does. No, no, no. You, you can condense it for the reader. And it's so important when you're yeah. trying to raise money for your film or get an actor involved that it is a quick read. It means that they liked mm. it. It was a page turner rather than it being a slog turner. Um, yeah. And I always think yeah. it's really important to get your scripts below. 90 pages as, as if you can or 90 pages thereabouts it's horrible when you get a script and it's 120 pages you're like oh please no it does it really hurts your heart it's true it's true <laughs> i mean you know producers will get a lot of scripts you know yeah. i mean they're inundated with scripts so if you if you've got one that's 95 90 95 mm -hmm. towards mm -hmm. 100 pages versus one that's 120 130 oh. and it's got big chunks in it you're no. never going to read that no. one you're going to read the smaller one aren't you, you are you so are. that it's just natural so you're you're, you're hurting your own chances yeah. by doing that although yes. you think it's it's creating more of a mood and stuff you're not you're ruining your chances did you do the same there with thomas woods your co-writer on the wall below how was your process working with him well we've we've worked together for oh, nearly 20 years so we know each other inside out kind of thing so what uh. we tend to do is we won't work in the same room not that i don't like him you know he's one of my best friends but we don't <laughs> work in the same room we, we came up with the idea together because i found the idea when it was towards the centenary um mm -hmm. and i'd seen this article and i thought this was great and i sent it to tom and tom said yeah this, you know this this sounds brilliant let's go with this so we kind of we plan it all out and then we send it to each other and then we use we could call it the red pen and we just scrub things out that's rubbish do this do this and we change it and send it backwards and forwards a lot um and then one of us i usually tend to write act one and then i'll send it over he'll have a look and then we'll go backwards and forwards again. But there's things, what I like about working with a writing partner is there's things that he's better at and there's things that I am better mm. at. He comes up with weird and random kind of action set scene, set um, pieces and things sexy like that. Which, scenes. Sexy scenes. <laughs> yeah. Random sexy scenes. Weird random sexy scenes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so he's great at still coming up with, with things like that. And I'm probably a bit better with the dialogue and, and that kind of thing. So... Between us, we work really well together. I think mm. if we worked individually, it wouldn't be as good because, you know, you think, oh, yeah, I'm writing some great stuff here. But then you give it to someone else and go, well, I didn't really come across very well. Or I think you could write it better if you changed it like this. So for me, working with a, a writing partner is pretty essential because it cuts down a lot as well. It cuts down a lot of the rewrites. It cuts down a lot of the, the extra time it's going to take because you've got a second person always looking over your your stuff as well. So yep. we kind of work separate, but we work together, if that makes I any sense. I much prefer working with a, a co-writer myself and Toby have worked on a couple of projects together and I prefer it. I like sharing final draft as well. I know you say you, you write one act and then send it to someone else uh, and backwards and forwards. Whereas I, I, I like to be live with the final yeah. draft system. Now you can be live, so you can both be watching it, one of you types, and then you swap over after 10 minutes or someone gets stuck and goes, oh, I've got a line here. I like that way of working and work that way with other people as well as Toby and I really enjoy it I feel yeah. free because I when I'm on my own I do worry that I'm just going to get stuck or get lost or exactly. someone else would just say yeah. no no it's all right just write this for now let's come back to it yeah yeah but yeah. It, it holds you accountable as well because yes. you know yes. it's like sometimes you procrastinate over everything yeah you know, I, i'm terrible at procrastinating <laughs> exactly. and the same, you find yourself on youtube watching some i don't know pimple popper or something yeah. like, well, how did i get here yeah. but when you have like a writing partner they're like well, if you get this done by the end of the week, then I can look at it and then we can do mm. it. So it does hold you accountable and it makes me do things because sometimes I can be quite procrastinating in stuff and I'm, I'm a bit bad like that. So mm. it is really helpful to me for that as well. Do you outline together then before getting onto the page? Because you're writing individually. So are you outlining together? Are you writing a treatment together? How does it work? We have a very set structure the way that we do things so we mm -hmm. know uh, structure is one of these things isn't it which some people really like some people don't we do we have a very specific way that we will write we know how many beats that we're going to have mm -hmm. for each because we, we do things in like kind of like forex we do act one we do act two part one act two part two and then act three so we split it into four things with yeah. the midpoint obviously in the middle we kind of do structure everything down so um, that we know what we're going and then we can swap those things really early and really easily. That doesn't mean it's going to stay like that. It means that, you know, it's still going to evolve. But for us to have that backbone there that we can come back to is much better. We, we have tried before. 
oh, let's just write and see where it goes. And that just ended up in a complete nightmare. I'm sure mm. some people can do that. Mm. I'm sure they can. I can't. I need to have like a roadmap of where I'm going. Then I know where I'm going. I can change stuff around if I want to. Yeah, we do that. And then I'll say, okay, you you, you go and do no, this part of act two or look at these few scenes. How can you make this one better? And we just kind of swap it around. So sometimes we do things backwards and we do act three first and then we go back. It's, you know, it's all different, really. Did you have a deadline on The War Below? Because it does, ha- yes. I, I like a deadline. I mean, me and Toby know about deadlines. It's like, you've got two weeks, rewrite <laughs> it. Okay. The, the, oh. it's, it's funny you say that because <laughs> the producers that we did this with, uh, the brilliant guys, Chris, Luis and, and, and Will, mm. um, we actually sent them this idea because they said, we've got, a, we've got some investors and we've got a bit of money. We want to make something in the UK. Okay. Have you got any ideas? So we said, well, we've got this idea, which we've kind of come up with. We, we'd written about eight pages. And I said, it, it told them the idea and they said, oh, that's great. That's great. Can you just make a little um, video so we could show them a kind of like sizzle reel that we could like then just just show them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did. And they the investors loved it. And they said, OK, great. When can we see the rest of the script? And I said, well, what did you tell them? They said, oh, well, we told them three <laughs> weeks. Is that OK? <laughs> uh, so it's like, OK. Oh. So we, we wrote it all in three weeks, oh, wow. the first draft. Great. And then. You know, and so then there was changes after that. But yeah, the first draft took three weeks, but that I wouldn't want to particularly do that again. Uh, it was a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare. It's a kick bollock scramble, but what it does is it literally kick bollock scrambles you to yeah. write it because otherwise you'd procrastinate and go, oh, and yeah. then something would come up and you'd do exactly. it later and oh, in a week's time, suddenly they get another job or you get another job and you're out. And then exactly. suddenly you've got to come back in six months time and try and do it. But actually here, what happened was you had a deadline. And therefore, yeah. suddenly, if you make this deadline, your film might actually happen. That's a huge incentive for a filmmaker. Of course, of course, yeah. And so, yeah, so I suppose looking back now, even though it's frightening, it must have been a real opportunity that you clearly took with both hands. Talk us through that process, because that's what a lot of filmmakers would be going, how did you do it? It took me many, many years, to be honest with you. We've been trying for an awful lot, long mm-hmm. time to, to, to get something made. And as you guys know, especially in the UK, the funding... It's not there. It's for, not there. For most people, unfortunately, it's not. Um, and this one wasn't. This was American funding. But what I think is the most important, especially if you're if you're starting out, is starting to make connections because it's the it's people that make films. It's great to get your script into a competition or something like that, but that's not likely to get a film out of that usually. But you can meet people that can then down the line you can work with and you can chat to and say, oh, hi, how are you doing? Remember me, I was doing this. And th- this was the what happened with us because we met Chris and Luis after a short we did um, and they got in touch and we chatted. We actually sent over the script for the short we made, which was meant to be like a feature. Was that The Lost Emperor? It was. And it was, to be honest with you, the script was terrible. It was, it was awful. It was a terrible <laughs> script. Like, but it's good to be honest about it. It was, now, it, isn't was. It? it was. It was one of our first, you know, it was about 11, 12 years ago now, but it was one of our first scripts and it was awful. Um, but Chris came back and he was like, look, I like you guys. I like what you've done. But this is awful. Your, script's te- your script isn't good. <laughs> and I liked his honesty. I was like, okay, thank you. So mm-hmm. that's why we went away and we thought, how do we script write properly? And we read all the books, did it. And then it's like, oh, right. Okay. Everything is about contacts and make it, and nobody has them to start off. I mean, they're based nope. in LA um, and Georgia. I'm was in Oxford and I'm in Derby. So it's not the same place, but you don't have to be in LA. You don't have to be in London. I don't live in London. I don't live in LA. I haven't been to LA for years and years and years. I don't go to New York. So this is kind of something that people always get this thing. I'm not going to be able to do it because I don't live in these places or I don't run in these same circles. It's, there's the internet, there's emails. Mm-hmm. Just start chatting to people and trying to get your name out there. Yeah, you're so right. It's so important. My, mine was 10 years. I trying to make a feature as a director was 10 years yeah. and it was 10 years of pain and going down the wrong holes, but meeting people and meeting the right people, mm. but meeting the wrong people. So now I know they're the wrong people at the exactly. time. You didn't know you thought they were the right people. And that's yeah. only experience and learning, but you have to be in the mix 
to even be part of that cake. You know, it's yeah. so important to put yeah. yourself out there, as you say. Can you tell us what's the what is the film about? And then we'll play the trailer. The War Below is a, about a group of uh, miners who they actually dug under no man's land um, to set off the, the, the biggest man-made bombs in history to break the deadlock that was going on in World War One. So I'd never personally heard of this story before. I always thought whenever you watch a World War One film, it's about people in the trenches waiting to go over the top. I didn't know that there were people digging under no man's land and then there were Germans digging the other way and it's kind of a cat and mouse story. So it was something we hadn't heard before. Number of characters. 40,000. We are losing this war. How can that be? Sir, to break the German line, we need to do something new, something different, something the Hun will never see coming. And you'd have such a thing? Yes, sir, I believe I do. The Germans have built bunkers 30 feet below ground level, and we've thrown everything we've got at them, and nothing. We're going to tunnel under no man's land, blow the enemy to kingdom come. Still don't see what this has to do with us. We don't have the expertise, but you men do. I'm going there to dig. Why you? They need people who can dig the clay. Don't they have miners over there or something? It's my duty, my responsibility. Your responsibility is to be here with your family. I didn't realize that meant putting our war effort into the hands of uneducated, untrained civilians. Give me four months. Can you do it in time? I don't know. We're the only crew that can. Without us, those tunnels are gonna fail. He's gonna break! Press the walls! We check the tunnel. There's some faint sounds scraping. It looks like the Germans are digging now, too. The Germans know we're coming. We shall not give our enemies one foot of soil. I hope to God no one ever has to see a place like this again. But to do that, the job's got to be finished. And I believe we're the only ones can do it. Gentlemen, tonight we may not make history. But we'll certainly change the bloody geography. Gary! We do this. And the war's over. And there's a trailer for you, and it is quite simply incredible. Uh, it's a really cool movie. The concept itself is great. The title of the movie is great, The War Below. And the posters I've seen as well, I've been like, the, the two of them are both blow my mind. I've been like, they're really good posters. I mean, I don't know how you felt about it, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get what this movie is, and I like them a lot. So yes, basically, well done. It's a great movie. It's really exciting, and it's really well made. Performances are strong across the board, and I think people should see this because it shows what you can do on a limited budget. It shows what you can get from clever camera work, uh, brilliant acting, and confined spaces. <laughs> <laughs> the joy of confined spaces. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about... Um, where the idea came from and the fact that your, your team, uh, Chris and Louis, saying, hey, we can make this. So what happened next? Let's dive into, okay, so now you've delivered the script. Obviously, it's first yeah. draft. Yes. What, we, did they literally go, cool, green lighting this? What, what, what actually happened? How did yeah. the money come together? How did it happen? I mean, pretty much because what, what, I mean, what we did is, is I said to them, okay, I'm going to go away and I'm going to go to all the locations because I already knew where, when we were writing it, where we were going to film it. I originally took up loads and loads and loads and loads of photos. And I think I really annoyed them because I had about 300 photos of all these different trenches and buildings and stuff. And I sent them over and I bless them. I think they thought England was always like that. <laughs> no, I think they, 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 that's what England is like. It hasn't you know changed I mean? England, yeah. hasn't it? Look at They've England, guys. Been, so. <laughs> it's still 1917 over there. <laughs> so I, I showed them, um, we went to uh, um, the big manor house where um, Sarah Beanie used to own. So I, I filmed, like I'd filmed there before. So I said, these are all the locations. Ah. And this is what each scene would kind of look like. 
Um, and then we took uh, some reference photos from other films and stuff as well. So this is the kind of look we were going for. And so they then sent that to the investors as well with this sizzle reel, kind of the feel of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, they said, yeah, we like that. If you can do that on that budget, let's go for it. And so that, that was it. So it was, wow. it was quite simple. Had you come up with the budget yourself to be that figure or was that kind of Chris and Louie saying, if you can do it, for are you allowed to say? Yeah, it was basically in the end. It was uh, six hundred thousand. We did it for, and it looks gorgeous. It looks like way higher budgets. How did you do that? Well, I mean, things with with low budget films. I think you've got to do either one of two things. You've either got to do something that's completely different. For example, Saw or the Blair Witch Project. You know, something that is very very different. If you're going to have minimal cast i mean nobody wants to watch something that is just people sat in a house Mm -hmm. which which seems to be people could think low budget they think you have to do this and that kind of bugs me so you've either got to do something that's extremely different like you know saw is basically people in a house really but it's so completely different Mm. that's why it works or you've got to push the boundaries and we push the budget boundary because we knew that i could do the vfx we knew that we actually we were only using four locations we knew we wouldn't have to use that many people. So we could do it as long as we had the right crew, the mm-hmm. right cast that would get on board. Because when you're doing small budget film, you have to have the right cast and crew. And I yeah. don't mean technical ability. I don't mean how, how good they are. I mean, they have to have the right personality. They have mm-hmm. to have the right passion to do. As well. Exactly. Yeah. The temperament, the, the passion. We, we've all been on projects where there's that one person that's annoying. And it brings everyone down and everyone gets, oh, because of this one person. So you can't have that, especially when you've only got, we, we had 20 days to film it in. So mm-hmm. you've got, you know, do five minutes of screen time every single day. So if you've got that right cast and crew that all get on together and just, you know, it's the biggest team sport that there is, mm-hmm. film, I think. And to get everyone to work together and to enjoy it and to, to want to, to push that extra bit harder, that's how you get it made. And mm-hmm. that's how you can turn a, a small budget into a bigger budget by everyone wants to work that bit harder. They, they don't mind doing it, you know, that bit quicker or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. You know, the, la- the last hour of the day, by the way, is always insane. It's like Ben-Hur in the morning and Benny Hill in the evening, isn't it? The amount you can get done in the last hour seems unbelievable. I don't know how you do it. Yeah. But it's like you can get three scenes done in the last hour. You know, it's always yeah. the way. Isn't it's always it the way. It's weird it? in filmmaking why that happens. You, you, set, you set up the first few shots, and you suddenly take forever. You, you have <laughs> to get, and you suddenly all just sort of get it done. My exactly. thing on that is to try and plan your days cleverly so that you know the things at the end of the day can be easier things to shoot. It's just, and also that's when you, I feel that directors earn their money if you get any money for directing. Is that end of the day when you've got five minutes and you need to get seven setups? That's exactly. when you earn your money. Exactly. That's when but your brain goes into wildfire. That, <laughs> that is true. But that, that's also when you've got you've got to trust your actors. And um, I was so fortunate to work with amazing actors. I, yeah. As a first time director, getting good actors is just the biggest blessing on the planet because you don't have to be spending a huge amount of time going through things or trying to change their performances. They just get it and they're they're bang on every single time. So Mm. um, Tom Goodman Hill, for example, Uh I I remember one day we had like 10 minutes to do two scenes and he just did it one take each each time, each setup. And it was just like, I love you. Thank you ever so much. Well, well, that's it. It was amazing. If you cast well, you've you've done 95% of your job. Exactly. You know, the rest is tweaking, right? That's one of the things I did learn, actually. Getting a great, uh, our casting director was called Shakira Dowling. Oh, she's she's, huge. Yeah, she's she's been on the podcast before. She came to some of our live events. Shakira's amazing. She's great. Absolutely. She's brilliant. And I didn't realise before I was doing this how important a good casting director was. Mm. Um, I thought, oh, well, maybe I could just, you know, email a few people and see if they'd be interested. But it wasn't until Alexandra said, no, you need to speak to Shakira. And it's like, yes, she is, it was, it's just amazing. So, yeah, casting if, if you're doing it for the first really time, you yeah. need a good casting director. I think what people are frightened of there is it costs money. Casting directors cost money, the good ones. And obviously yeah. when you're making an indie film and you've got no money, the last thing you want to do is go, hey, let's spend some of that on a casting director. But as John says here, it's so important because if you cast well, you will save you a lot of time on set. Well, it'll, it'll save you time, but it'll also, the investors will be more invested in you because that person that you've got is then more bankable to them 
than someone that you probably could have got because you haven't got the connections to go to all these agents, whereas the, a good casting director has. So the amount that it, it costs for her, you get back 10 times over because mm. of speed, of, of investors being, you know, comfortable that what you're going to be able to make it. Because if you think about it, they're giving you all this money they have to be comfortable that you know what you're doing. And especially as a first time director or whatever, you have to be able to, to finish the project and make it as good as you possibly can. So yeah. as, if you can make them more comfortable in that process, then that's so much better because they kind of leave you alone to a certain extent. They, they have to yeah. hold the reins and say, what are we doing? What, you know, how are we yep. doing it? They, they, they can sense that you have some modicum of knowledge of what you're doing. Well, let's talk about that because you were a first time filmmaker in terms of making a feature and people do put that sadly they ignore your shorts and in a way so how did you persuade your cast and crew to come on board what is it you said what how did you pitch it they they liked the script that's obviously the first thing they look at they look at their character yes you know an actor wants to have a good role and to they want to progress like everybody else so if you can give them a good role that they can see a, a you know a good character arc or how they would look with this on their CV, they, you know, that would obviously interest them as well. Mm. So thankfully they they liked that um, and they liked the, the period. Um, and then I just, I got on Zoom or whatever it was and just chatted to them. So I was just telling them about me and talked to them about them and what they were interested in. And A, to make sure that we would get on, you know, because there's nothing worse than not getting on with people, as I said before. Um, but B, that we were on the same page and that, they were passionate about the film. If they know that you're confident in what you can do and you can show them that you're confident and that it will turn out all right, then they're much more likely to than, yeah, hopefully we'll get this or hopefully we'll do that. And then they were like, uh, maybe not. Yeah. The other big collaboration you have on set as a director is with the DUP. And the wall below looks amazing, especially the, the opening with the, with the close-ups and then uh, when the men are sta standing in the line and, and, and how you move the camera and how you block the scenes. It, it, it was almost like music to me and it, has a, it had a really nice rhythm. So did you storyboard the film before? How was the collaboration with, with the DOP? Well, our DOP was uh, a guy called Nick Cook, who is... Just the, A, he's the nicest guy on the planet and B, he's just amazing. But what I did before I even met Nick is I'm one of these people that I have to prepare a hundred percent because I think if I didn't prepare, I'd have a heart attack when I was on set. I'm not one of these people that could just <laughs> be on set and say, well, what should we do? What should mm -hmm. it look like? I know there are people and some people say, oh, it stifles your creativity if you're not like that. But for me, I can't. So because I'd taken so many location pictures when I was doing the, mm -hmm. the pre-production for, for the pictures, the I, and, yeah. I, exactly, I knew exactly what every set would look like. Mm -hmm. So I then, um, I've got a bit of software which um, you can put your camera movements and, and where actors will be and stuff. So I spent a lot of time going through blockings and thinking, would this work? How would I get this together? Um, so I did that first. Mm -hmm. um, and then I sent that to our storyboard artist, um, a guy called Andrew Lamb, who's brilliant. And he drew them up from my blockings and from the things that I'd already done. I sent him the pictures as well, so he'd know what it would look like. So we did it that way. I Then when I met Nick, we chatted through how he wanted it to look. And um, I was really, I kind of wanted desperately for anamorphic lenses because I just love anamorphics. Um, and the Arri Mini is great. It's got a 4.3 gate on it. So you can you can have the full sensor um, with the anamorphics. So he loved that. And we went through colors and everything like that. But he looked at the, the blockings. He looked at the storyboards. And then we altered stuff. If, you know, if mm -hmm. we do, we said, this might not work for this or we've got this kind of kit, so how can we do, you know, we, we had to have speed as well as mm -hmm. cost. When we were there on the day, that's when we knew what we were gonna do, but Nick said, actually, if we just did this a little bit tighter, or a little bit this, then it would make it even nicer. So that's when you can get your creativity. Once you've got everything prepared, you've then got time to be a bit more creative because you know what you're doing. There was no stress, everyone was really happy and we could just have a fun time with it and actually enjoy ourselves because that's the most important thing is to have fun mm -hmm. especially if you're the director everybody takes their cue from you everyone's looking at, at, at you to see how you're reacting so if you're having fun they're usually quite cool and calm and if there's any problems we just sort it whereas if you're angry or, or stressed out everybody else becomes stressed out because 
for some reason, everybody takes a cue from you. Yeah. So that will actually waste time. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> don't know. So, so what are you looking at yeah. me for? Yeah, well, so, I don't know. So, you, you yeah. do it. <laughs> so, so it is really important to actually enjoy yourself and yeah. to have fun. And at the end of the day, go around saying thank you to everybody for working really hard that day. And that makes them feel part of the team. And I've been a runner before. Mm -hmm. I've done, worked my way up through various things. I know what it's like to work the longest hours as a runner, but never feel like you're valued and to never feel like someone cares what you do or say that. So to go around and say thank you to people for a hard day's work and, you know, I can't do it without you. Thank you very, very much for, for all the work you've done today actually goes a really long way. It's something that's extremely simple, mm -hmm. but it makes people feel valued and feel, feel part of the, the team and that you're all doing this together. It's not my film. It's not the producer's film. It's not the writer's film. It's everybody's film. And that's what you need to do. Yeah, it's so important. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk about that feeling of making your feature the feeling inside of you because obviously you'd wanted this for 10 years and the difference between making a short and now suddenly doing the feature and it's you've written it you've helped raise the finance by doing what you do um talk us through what it felt like to be a feature film director and on set for those first few days which are always the sort of most daunting and how it felt for you. Yeah, it was it scary the first couple of, you know, the first couple of days. I think once I got into it or once I was on set, actually, I wasn't scared. I wasn't nervous. I just wanted to get on and get it done and, and you know, go through all the steps because I knew we had it prepped out. But before that, obviously, I was a bit scared. Um, and you know, I think everyone is nervous the first time. You don't want to let, I didn't want to let people down. Yeah. I didn't yeah, want to yeah. let anyone down. And that was my biggest worry. It wasn't me messing up i just didn't want to let Luis and, and chris down and i didn't want to let the investors down didn't want to let the crew down so that was my biggest worry but once i'd actually seen the the we had a a, a great editor robin um who every single day would edit together what we've been doing those scenes and stuff so you could watch them back and say mm -hmm. actually you know I'm really pleased with that. So that was a great boost to actually have that rather than just rushes sitting there and being on the hard drives. To actually be able to see what you've done, in, you know, assembled together was brilliant because you could say, yes, wow, okay, we're getting there. It looks good. I'm happy with what, what we're getting. And that was a real, real boost. Then we could say, okay, let's If you let's, can let's do it, it really is a brilliant thing because the crew see, because when you're on set, you can get lost in the melee of everything. And a lot of crew aren't on set a lot of the time. They don't see the intricate details of a shot, why we're moving around this way. They don't see it because they're off doing other bits and pieces. So to put stuff together, is like, even if it's the end of the week or the start of the next week, if you can do it over the weekend, it's really hard on any films, but if you can, God, the boost it's, to give you It's well crew. worth it. It's it really well worth it. Having made a brilliant first feature, what are your learnings for your next one? A anything you would never do again or anything you would definitely do again? You always want more time. And I <laughs> yeah. think whatever ever amount of time that you have been given, you'd always want more. Always. So it's one of those things that you say, yes, I would, I would love to have a bit of extra time, uh, another few days to do this. But you'll still probably do the same amount that you've already done. 
I don't know. It's one of those weird things, isn't it? I, if, I, if we had a bit more budget, then I think getting a, a B cam would have been useful mm -hmm. um, to get just some extra things that you think I could just throw in a, you know, a nice shot here or something there. Um, that would have been useful. But there's nothing that I think, oh, no, we completely mm -hmm. messed that up or, or, yeah. or what have you. Um, I think moving forward, it's re reaffirmed that you have to have the right team. That's mm -hmm. one of the most important things ever. You know, there's, there's lots of little things. You, ha you have to take a decision, make decisions. As if you ever talk about people that are directing, trust your instincts and don't feel that you're going to get it wrong. There's no right or wrong. So mm -hmm. just trust your decision and stick with your decision. If I remember one of the, the art department, there was like 10 different pens. And they said, <laughs> which pen do you want? I said, oh, I, don't, yeah, I don't mind. And they said, no, you have no, to pick. Which you have pen to pick. do you want? Yeah. So yeah, make, make decisions. Yes. There is no right or wrong. Yeah. Just pick it Just and choose. say, right, that's yeah. what I want. So yeah, be decisive. You've got, you've got to enjoy it. You know, it's one of those things that you'll remember forever. That hundred you know? <laughs> So <laughs> the torture, the just, pain yeah. just, just enjoy it. You know, there are good bits and bad bits. Well, let's talk about the, you know, the, the explosions here and filming underground, the look of filming underground, because you've got the two sides to this of the outside and the war coming down. And I just wanted to touch on how you, because it does look brilliant. And obviously it'd be really interesting to talk about your VFX side there, how much you added to these explosions with the, that were there. And I also want to touch on how you filmed in confined spaces, because that's difficult. So I suppose a, a combination of the two, Go for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those two questions. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> for the explosions and stuff side, yeah. majority of it was VFX. We couldn't afford, unfortunately, oh. a lot of the big explosions that you'd have in the bigger budget movies. Wow. Well, they um, look incredible, mate. Well done. That's, I mean, that's, that's wow. very kind. Thank you. Um, yeah. So there was a, beforehand, again, you know, the run up to it, I was experimenting with, with different software and things. And, but actually in the post-production, the software I thought I was going to use didn't end up working out because the, the computer actually melted because it was just trying to do it. <laughs> oh, it was trying, the it's graphics like cards in that just, just, yeah, they just kind of melted. So I had Shit. to get a different, a different Mac and then so I changed software to one called Houdini, which is yes. a fantastic bit of software, okay. but I hadn't, I hadn't actually used it before. So I had to learn how to use it. So the majority was... VFX, but what I always take from VFX, I always notice the scenes that are pure VFX and I always hate those scenes. And mm. there's a couple of them I, I, I just don't like them because I can just tell that they're pure VFX. But to mix VFX with live action plates always mm. looks an awful lot better. And you can get away with stuff much, much better. So if anyone's thinking about just doing VFX shots on green screens, I would say probably don't. Try and get action plates and then move your camera around the action plates. Then you can track it and you can add either, you know, stock VFX or you can make your own VFX, depending how close you are and things like that. You can mix and match. You know, Nuke does amazing things with projections. If you've got a great matte painter, mm -hmm. you can, you know, you can put projections in there and it always looks an awful lot better than, you know, unless you're doing like a sci-fi film, I suppose, you know, that kind of superhero kind of thing, which you can get away with it because people know that it's fake and they know that, you know, it, it, all these things aren't real. If you're trying to do an action for, or you know, set in normal yeah. time, if you know yeah. what I mean, yeah. um, then yes, try and just do an, uh, get the proper plates and then just add VFX to it. I always find that much better. So, so I, I tried to do as much of that as humanly possible. There were things, some things that didn't work, some that did. Some that's probably still got mistakes, but people don't notice. And that's okay. You don't have to be 100% perfect on every single shot because there's things that people won't notice mm -hmm. and that you can spend a week and a half doing something just to get that one pixel right or that little bit of tracking right. And then you can play it to someone and play the one that took a day and they wouldn't notice the difference, <laughs> well, yeah, even true. though the track's slightly off or something. So yeah. you don't have to be perfect with things. Just, Just, you know... Try your best with getting it as, as good as, as possible. But remember, you haven't got all the time in the world to do stuff. No, so you, you have but, to keep moving it along. But because you knew what you were doing, therefore you could plan it properly. And I suppose that's what's important. Like, there's the, for instance, there's a shot in the trenches early on um, where there's an explosion which 
you know, not a spoiler, but does kill someone. And I, I was really fascinated by that, that you're telling me now that that was a lot in VFX because yes, that yes. was, I totally, I thought you'd had an explosion there and a stuntman diving out of the way, etc. No, no, <laughs> I say most, most were, yeah, wow. VFX. But I mean, again, it's one of those things, as long as you're you know, matching colours, you're matching the kind of, you know, you're, you're getting the majority there. That That shot, I actually don't, like personally myself because I, I can see where I could have done better <laughs> is this one of these where you spent a week and a half on and no one noticed I'm going to re-watch that one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially put it on Twitter yeah was there anything on when you were shooting it now or tips to when people are shooting where they have got nothing real but they need to put an explosion in is there anything they should do within camera apart from the things you said that would be useful I mean if you can do things in camera, they will look better. Yeah. I won't say that they won't because they will. Use VFX to add to it. But if mm -hmm. you can get a you know explosion, especially near the camera, it's mm -hmm. extremely hard to get the volume correct and the physics correct right near the camera. That's when you will notice it. Further away, you can use 2D stock footage if you want because you don't get that depth, whereas you will right near the camera. So that is very important if you can get no swirling dust and stuff near the camera, then great. The only problem is, and we, we had this problem once or twice, is when you've got a lot of fog or something mm -hmm. in there, it's hard to integrate stuff a lot because you. it's not like you've got a green screen, you can just key it out. So, right. so that that's, you know, you have to do some testing with that kind of thing. It's doable, but you have to do some testing with that kind of thing. But a lot of people will keep it very clean and then just have, it can put a, a green screen behind and, and then see. shoot it. So there's all different ways. Yeah, but that's interesting with fog because often when you're on set, you want to add fog because obviously it makes whatever lights you've got sparkle and bits and pieces and you don't want it to look naff on set. Especially exactly, when it's a exactly. big explosion, you might have, yeah. you know, your execs coming down to watch at that point. So you want yeah. it to look amazing, but then yeah. like you've just said there, actually now you might have an issue in post with the VFX because now you've got, yeah. you've got fog in but front it, of But again, it, it depends how close the, the, the explosion is to the camera or, I mean, there's one that we, we had a lot of fog, uh, but the explosion was in the background. So you could bring the camera on it, you know, up so that it was lighter, so it would match the kind of fog. Mm. And then I, I would take a bit of stock footage of fog which was already keyed, which yep. I already had, Great. then I could layer that on top of the explosion. So it kind of then would match. And because it's quick, and you know, you won't, again, you won't notice. Won't notice. So that's kind of like our, our, the way mm. we did it. So again, it's, it's, it's a lot of compositing, a lot of color matching and, and, you know, testing that it will actually look as, as good as possible. Really. And the same with your debris as well, or did you, were you throwing debris however you say on to people the bits yes the there rubble. was quite a, a number of them that were again houdini particles um like when there's one where a guy's uh there's a sniper that goes to shoot him and it sprays mm -hmm. debris over him and stuff that was 100 percent vfx no way have oh that. mate it's impressive but you know but there are other things that you know um, we had a, a special effects guy there alan who was who was great and there were certain things that he could do in the tunnels especially that could drop again it was to add stuff so he could drop things but you no know, there might not be enough volume so then i could add more particles and stuff to to add to the effect because again that's going to be it's always going to be better if you can do stuff just do it and then you could add to it afterwards and that's going to be much much better and in, in the tunnels that works well because it's quite dark as well so it helps. <laughs> yeah and that would lead you on to the second question that i asked uh, <laughs> segway great segue, mate well done you should host uh is uh, is about yeah the, the tunnels and filming in confined yeah. spaces now i've seen some brilliant behind the scenes photos where actually you'd you built a set where it looked like you were filming from outside the room yes. so actually you had space but i imagine yes. there was some times where you were also in talk us through that yeah i mean um we've got our production designer called caroline steiner she was mm. brilliant she's um, great she designed it so that it wouldn't look the same because we only had a small stage and we could only have a small budget to, to make them but we knew that if you kept saying the same bit again and again and again people would go Oh, it's we're just back here again. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? So, with the lighting um, and with the with the design, we had to do it that there would be some straight bits, or there'd be some dips, or we could put some water in, or there would be some 
curves that would look different from a different angle or there was a hole that we could shoot through the hole so to try and get as many variations as we, we possibly could but in a small area she then made these cutouts in the side so that we could be inside the tunnel with them but then she made cutouts which could be taken out of the sides mm. um, and then we could shoot from outside through them yep. through the into it and then once we finished that you just put the cutout back in so you've got so much variation within it that it was much especially when we're shooting with anamorphics mm -hmm. you get a bit more space as well so so that was great. Impressive. Very clever. And I like the way you described it as well. It's very simple uh, and, and clear for us as well. Because it's always hard sometimes with a podcast to describe how you, you know, yeah. did the sets and created <laughs> it. So, yeah, I, you know, that's, it's really cool. Really interesting as well how you've done that. Um, all right, cool. So now you've, you've, you've got your movie and you've done all your wonderful VFX yourself in your bedroom, I imagine. Um, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much, right? That's how we do things these days. Exactly. How did you then get the film out? Because obviously you've got your team, producers, but you know, this is, this is quite a big splash. You know, it's getting four star reviews across the board, if not more, you know, it's doing really well. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, Chris and Louise spoke to, it was the international sales agent called Amp Film uh, mm -hmm. in London. Um, and he sent them an early copy of it. He'd spoken to them beforehand and they said, look, you know, yeah, if it, if it's, looks decent and stuff then we'll, we'll have a look at it um but they knew the budget so they were kind of like mm, okay whatever but when they saw it they were like oh okay yeah oh, we're more interested so we'll go and see how you know what buyers we could we could get kind of thing what's the reaction been for you because like i said we talked about this when we started this podcast about how your film's out there and yeah like a withering balloon at times where it's just like oh how how do you pick yourself up as a filmmaker from that? And it is a disappointment. It doesn't matter how great your reviews are. It doesn't matter what's happening. You can't help but have this, oh, it's over, but it's not over because it's it's not your yeah. movie anymore. It's a public exactly. movie. You know? Exactly. How do you pick yourself up? How do you say, it's all right, I'm doing well, I can do another movie? What do you do? What's, what goes through your mind or has? I know when people are doing their first one, they want everything to be great, but you've got to remember that some people, like any bit of, art or anything else some people will like it some people will not like it you Indeed. have to take that on board and know beforehand that will happen some people will like 1917 some people love 1917 some people absolutely hate 1917 you will always have the two sides so don't expect or don't get down if someone doesn't like it it doesn't mm. matter someone else will love it so you know i've seen a, a couple of people that are my friends that are first time and they got really down about it afterwards because they said well i didn't get as many reviews as i wanted i said look it's the way it is not everyone's going to like everything not everyone's going to hate everything everyone has their personal opinions don't take it to heart they don't ever put it on you it's not it's not you that they're reviewing it's a it's a film or you know they don't see the people behind it so mm you know always take that on board and many people don't share their opinion as well like you never know who you're inspiring um mm. out there in the world right because it's out there it's it's in the internet it's available everywhere at a certain point exactly exactly i mean you, you do you get you get you get some people that will either on instagram or whatever that say oh i absolutely loved it that you know it was, it was great and then you'll get people that are just like oh what what's this yeah you know, or the, or the, the history's slightly wrong or something. You get like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. the historians yeah. say, oh, oh, they wouldn't do that. Yeah. Oh, oh, I no. There's nothing worse. But Toby, you've got a great point there. I think we forget when most people like ourselves, when we watch something, we very rarely go write a nice review. We should, by the way, and shout out to anyone who does that and indie filmmakers listening. Go support your fellow indie filmmakers and write a nice review if it, you it have does watched make their a difference. Film. It does Honestly, make a difference. for us, it's huge yeah. and people, you'd love it, so do the same. But the amount of people who don't do that and that's what you've got to remember. When people are annoyed with something, they'll go write a shitty review. Oh, this was shit. I hated it. So we get a lot of that. We see a lot on Amazon. We see a lot of these shitty reviews and people being dicks. But actually, so many people loved it. They just don't put a review out. Hence why exactly. those IMDb yeah. scores are low is because it's people who are angry go on there and go, no, I'm giving this three stars. Fuck you. Don't take it to heart. They don't mean it personally. Maybe they just don't like that kind of film. Or maybe there was something that they saw that was inaccurate in it and they're a, his, you know, a historian or yeah. geography wasn't right. Or, you know, I remember from Forrest Gump, people were saying, well, it didn't happen in that order. Or, yeah. like, Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's a good story. Shut up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah. Wow, what a, a fascinating and insightful episode. Uh, thank you, John. That was 
Thank really you guys great. very much. Really, Sorry if I ramble. Really nice tips. You, yeah, yeah. I love rambles. Yeah. You know I mean? That's what I do. <laughs> That's the podcast of rambles. <laughs> That's yeah. the podcast of rambling. Should we call the filmmakers <laughs> Ramble? <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Name change. <laughs> do you have your socials where people can find you? I did try and find you on Twitter, I, but I, I couldn't. I honestly don't. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it's JP Watts underscore film. I think that would make sense. I'm going to tell yeah. you now. It is JP underscore Watts underscore film. Ah. Oh, so I was almost there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, were, <laughs> you almost got some followers. I know, almost. Let's not go that far. <laughs> uh, if you do want to follow uh, John, then do go there. He's on his Instagram. We'll try and put that in the show notes. Hey, Toby's doing this, so he's the one who'll have to put it in now. Uh, and Toby, where can people find you? At Tobias Feast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Is it not V's Tobias? Oh, have you changed it now? No, on Twitter, because there is a Tobias on Twitter, I think, who stole my Asshole. name. Yeah. So you're the same as me. You'll have to be T. Yeah. yeah. It's like Feast. literally the only other Tobias Feast in the world, I think. And yeah, he's 20 years older than me. And so he obviously stole it. There's one other Giles Alderson yeah. in the world. It's so annoying, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. He's into business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tobias Feast as well. I like Shut the fuck! fuck? Yeah. Yeah. He hates me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm at Giles Alderson on on all the uh, socials, so you can find me there. And do follow the podcast if you're not already. You can find us any social media. We have so much information there. We're constantly talking about films and updates and sending things yeah. out. So do follow us and find us and retweet our stuff. It's really important. Retweet this episode. Thank John so much on his Instagram page. Uh, and really, thank you for listening. Remember. You you can go out there and make your indie film. You can make your World War One film. You can make your sci-fi huge film if you want. But know who your audience is and go out there and do it. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well... Send the elevator back down. Woohoo! John Watts, thank you so much for your time. The thank War Below is out now. Go support, go watch. This is how to make indie film. It's brilliant. Go find it. Links to it will be in the show notes and we'll be promoting it all week. So you have no excuses. You will find it. John, you're a star. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Cool. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next Tuesday, as always. See you then. Bye. 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 Bye.